the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, is pleased to present the C4SO Podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO, a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Welcome to the C4SO Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and it is still... Black History Month for a few days. Our uh, plans for the podcast this month got a bit uh, delayed because of schedules and busyness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we are going to be releasing two more episodes focused on Black History Month, one today and one on Monday, February 28th. Looking forward to that. Um, other stuff that's going on around the diocese during Black History Month, uh, make sure to check out the Black Poetry and Photography Contemplation and Discussion Group, which is led by the Reverends Tisha Hadra and Kimberly Deckel. Um, it highlights uh, the works of Black poets and the photography of Gordon Parks. Um, Kimberly and Tisha are also going to be leading an online discussion about the poems and the photographs on February 28th at 7.30 p.m., Central Time. The link to register for that discussion, as well as the links to all the contemplations that they have curated and created so far, are in the show notes for this episode, which you can find online at c4so.org slash podcast. Also, during Black History Month, C4SO is celebrating artist Steve Prince, who we interviewed on the podcast. Uh, That was our last interview uh, back in uh, February 7th, I think that released. Uh, Steve is a mixed-media artist, a master printmaker, a lecturer, an educator, and an art evangelist, and we've licensed four of Steve's social justice artworks to feature on C4SO's social media during Black History Month. We're also going to be providing questions and prompts for you to do Visio Divina, or Sacred Seeing, which is an ancient form of Christian prayer, in which we allow our hearts and imaginations to enter into the image to see what God might have to say to us. Our guest today is the very Reverend Leon McKenzie, pastor of preaching and teaching at Redeemer Community Church in Atlanta, and also C4SO's regional co-dean of the Southeast. Uh, Leon, welcome back to the C4SO podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. You're also you also I noticed on your bio you're also called Mac. <laughs> yeah. Is I that know. is is that uh I mean uh, you know, I'm never sure. Whenever I say Leon McKenzie, I'm always like, should I be calling him Mac or I'm not well, sure who who gets to call you Mac. Well, um <laughs> you get to call me Mac then if you like. Okay. Uh, it's, right. it's it, it really started off somewhat as a joke. When I first started <laughs> pastoring a Redeemer, I was uh, teaching and coaching high school basketball full time. And so the students oh. called me Pastor Mac because my last name is McKenzie. McKenzie. Okay, I'm, excuse yeah. me, they called me Coach Mac. Excuse Coach me. Mac, I, I wasn't yeah. their pastor. <laughs> yeah. But um, so when I told Drew, who I pastor with at Redeemer, about that, he just he just thought it was hilarious and was like, I'm going to call you Pastor Mac from now on. And, and it stuck. So, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I very good. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for uh, thanks for letting me call you Mac. I feel like I've been invited into like an elite club or something. But <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe more people it's get not to call. Not elite, oh, but okay. Okay, all right, all right. I wasn't sure. 
wasn't sure what the uh, criteria was. Um, well, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna chat today. Um, this is kind of our focus for part of our focus for C4SO's uh, focus on Black History Month. Um, we're gonna chat about Malcolm X, um, who was not a Christian, mm-hmm. and um, and so it, oftentimes he's not somebody who um, comes up on our radar as for the church anyway, mm-hmm. someone to um, a, a history, a black figure from history that we can learn from or that. Um, you know, that is important to listen to, um, that kind of thing. So, so anyway, so this, you know, the, the title of this episode might take some people by surprise a little bit. Um, but what, um, what for you, maybe just tell the story about why, why did you look into, um, the life of Malcolm X, uh, from this perspective as a Christian, as a pastor, uh, looking for something for us to learn, uh, as the church, yeah. why, why Malcolm X? Well, I'll, I'll go a little bit farther back, um, a little bit farther back than you're asking, probably. But uh, being originally from Brooklyn, mm-hmm. I, I was raised in a in a majority black context, majority black neighborhood, and I went to a predominantly all black school in, in grade school. And um, our the core of our history books was was black history. Um, mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, um, on the periphery was you know. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, they, okay. you know, um, but at the core were people like Malcolm X, uh, Dr. King, Nat Turner, um, yeah. you know, um, all the way to jazz legends. And, and so it was, it was interesting when we moved to the South when I was 10 years old, that black history became yeah. periphery and the focus became, you know, European Americans, George, yeah. George Washington. And, 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 yeah. these. and so, um, when I became a Christian, not being raised in the church at about 13 years old, I was shocked to learn that a lot of the people who were heroes um, for me in terms of black history, they yeah. were actually being castigated, right? So yeah. Dr. King was, was right. we were being told, oh, Dr. King isn't a hero because allegedly he was, you know, he had extramarital affairs. Right. Uh, right. Malcolm X isn't a hero because he wasn't a Christian, uh-huh. you know, and... So it, it was it was just interesting to experience those things. And so as someone who wasn't uh, familiar with faith, I listened to my yeah. newfound community. Sure. And I, you know, I, I said, okay, well let's let's reject them as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, Dr. King isn't a hero. And I remember telling people, you know, oh, did you know he cheated on his wife? And mm-hmm. and um, Malcolm X, you know, he's he's you know, he's an antichrist, he's you know, and those types mm-hmm. of things. And so it wasn't until I was in seminary that I was challenged by one of my professors, Dr. Carl Ellis, who he himself um, was a contemporary of both Dr. King and uh, Malcolm X. He actually heard both of them speak in person. And in his book, Free at Last, which is a a history of the Black church in America, he actually challenges Christians to revisit Mm -hmm. voices like Malcolm X's and and to see what we can learn from it in this particular cultural moment. Mm -hmm. And so, um, as you know, we talked about this particular uh, interview and, and writing and stuff. Um, I just thought it would be helpful to, to challenge or to inspire better um, yeah. our people to consider voices that may have historically been muted in in, our, in, in the church um, mm. for whatever reason. So, yeah, and, yeah. and landed on Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love it. Yeah, yeah I think. Um, uh, before we get into, I want to get into what you know, what you've learned about Malcolm X and what you think um, the church can learn uh, from his life. Um, but I, I just want to say, like, I think I think that posture is really important as well. Um, that there is a tendency, I think, in the um, 
at least the church world that you know C4SO participates in, um, there's a tendency to kind of pit the church against the world yeah. in a way that is is like a competitive relationship you know with the world. And so if if a if there's a Christian figure like Dr. King who isn't sufficiently like us mm-hmm. um, theologically, uh, or if there's a, a person who's outside the church like Malcolm X, then there's this sense in which it feels like a threat to learn from them or to join with them in some ways, you know, in this sort of reciprocal relationship of generosity and, and humility to say, what can we learn uh, together, you know, if, if we were to come together in some way. Um, so anyway, so I just want to say I, I appreciate that because I think that um, that posture is is vital and necessary. The, the opposite of that competitive nature between the church and the world, but this this way that um, of seeing the world that says, no, the gospel actually propels us into joining with uh, the other, the outsider. Um, and we can trust that the gospel is strong enough that it's not, you know, like there's, there, there's uh, you know, God's not going to fall over, you know, <laughs> if we yeah. learn something from uh, right. uh, from someone who's not uh, inside the church, so or at All least right. even the church that we're part of. So Yeah, well said. Yeah, so what, um, so anyway, I just appreciate that about what you're... Uh, what you're, the journey you're taking us on here. Um, what is it then about uh, the life of Malcolm X? What, as you looked into um, his life and as you recalled the things that you learned maybe um, as a child uh, in Brooklyn, um, what is it about Malcolm X that you think uh, is important for us in our cultural moment today uh, to learn from as a church? Well, let me just say really quickly, because I said some disparaging things about Dr. King and I'm mm-hmm. neither affirming or denying it. No one's presented any proof to me of <laughs> Anything, so yes. I don't know. Okay. Yes. Um, and you know, along with the allegations of extramarital affairs, it's also that well, he's he's a liberal, and you know, and I was in conservative circles, and those issues as well. So, right. but um, again, going back to my, my time in grade school back in Brooklyn, my third grade teacher, his name was Mr. Neblet, and uh, Mr. Neblet was a member of the Nation of Islam, and mm-hmm. he was also a contemporary of Tupac Shakur's mom. They were both members of the Black Panther Party. Okay. And so when, you know, learning about uh, I'm sorry, Malcolm X and learning about the Nation of Islam and then having this actual figure in front of me, right, mm-hmm. who, who mm-hmm. has a, a, an existence that's closely tied to Malcolm X's existence in the circles he roamed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a firsthand account of the gentleness, the love, the concern of um, this man, right? Mm-hmm who mm-hmm. in, in, in every way could recognize with the, the life and, 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 um, and kind of, you know, what, what Malcolm X stood for. Yeah. And I remember, I'd never forget the one time he pulled me aside. I don't know if you can tell, but I was somewhat of a, um, uh, somewhat talkative and uh, disruptive. <laughs> and yeah. uh, he pulled me aside one day. He said, he said, Leon, man, I'm, I, I need to talk to your daddy, man. I need to talk to your daddy because I've been talking to your mom and nothing's changing. Hmm. And uh, and for some reason, he could tell that talking to my dad meant a little bit more to me or that mm. would be a little bit more um, severe in terms of what, what would happen um, <laughs> versus talking to my mom. And my behavior changed pretty drastically um, hmm. that the rest of that that year. And that summer, my dad passed away in pretty drastic fashion. And I remember hmm. going to catch the bus because I would catch the bus in, term, in, in the front of my my old elementary school. Yeah. In order to go to my new elementary school, and I saw Mr. Neblet, and and um, and I ran up to him and said, "Hey, Mr. Neblet, how are you?" And he said, "Hey, how you doing? How's your daddy doing?" And I said, "Well, my dad died," and uh, his countenance fell, 
And mm-hmm. he looked at me with, with, I mean, he looked disappointed. Mm. He looked disappointed. And I, I never quite understood why he would be disappointed in me for my dad dying. Mm. And I realized he wasn't disappointed in me because my dad died. I think he was disappointed because in, in, because he understood what this meant for another young black man to be raised without his father. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, mm. and all of that to say that it was easy for me to look at someone like a Malcolm X because of the, the examples I had in front of me and see him as a hero. And so I actually see, um, um, looking back, I think it was extremely uh, tragic to come to the church and have them tell me this man is not a hero, but he's a villain. Yes. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry that we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. This week we're praying for La Misión de San Lucas in Kansas City, Kansas, led by the Reverend Gene Flannery, and he has joined us to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray for them. Gene, welcome back to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Well, thank you, Ben. It's great being back. So glad that you do this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's uh, start with uh, sharing something that's encouraging for you right now. What's something that you're encouraged by? Well, in spite of the COVID and the pandemic and everything that's been going on, we still have continued our outreach ministry. As my my pastor Patrick always reminds me is that, uh, you know, our church really is the, is the community, the Latino community here in Kansas City. And that if you go across the border to the Missouri side, we're, over easily over 300,000 um, you know, Latinos. And they still come to us. Our, our, our main service we've been able to, to continue to, in the community, our English service or English classes for adults. We've had to kind of curtail some of our children's uh, ministries. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, people are still coming. They're coming out. We usually have, I guess, how it's probably has changed in the last couple of years. Um, we just have gotten a lot more people from Central America coming out out to be with us. And so we minister about to 200 a year, you know, of the, the immigrants that are coming into our area. So we feel it's a great privilege to share God's word with them, share God's love. And they learn a little bit of English along the way. <laughs> so that's great. That's great. Uh, how about a challenge that y'all are facing right now? Um, okay. Well, as always, and, and I think maybe most churches will say this as well is church attendance is of course, you know, really down, Starting with the COVID, it just uh, we just have never really been able to bring it back up too much. So we're a small group, and we're and it's always the constant challenge in the Latino community. Um, the one, the beautiful thing being the via media between the Catholic and Protestant, it it, it sounds good on paper, but when you try to explain it, <laughs> explain it to people that uh, are still uh, fighting with those uh, those those walls, <laughs> they're going more of a wall. Um, so just that the, the challenge to be able to, to tell people about, yeah, we're Catholic, but but we're different. You know, we 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 preach we preach the, the gospel, and uh, so just that we can clearly clearly delineate that, and you know, because we love to see more people come out and you know be discipled as well. Okay. Any other uh, prayer requests or anything specifically that you'd like uh, for the diocese to be aware of? Well, I think a lot of people, of course, in our dean know about. I, I have cancer, and so I went through cancer treatment, 
And uh, at the at the moment, it's actually going pretty well. I've been battling for a couple, two and a half years with this. Um, so I'm still still going strong. Um, so just appreciate prayers for that. Um, and just really, just for the you know the the Latinos that are coming that we can accommodate, especially those new ones that are coming from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. We're seeing quite a few of them, you know, cross our paths that we can, you know, just help them to, you know, integrate. Um, and we hope to re, re kickstart our soccer camp for kids in the summer and kind of start reaching out more to kids as well. So, so we have good things on the horizon that we're excited about and just, uh, just keeping constant and, and doing God's work. So, Okay. Well, I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us, sharing vulnerably about um, uh, your health and also just uh, the things that are going on there. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Gene. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. We appreciate it. Listeners, if you'd like to find out more about La Misión de San Lucas or contribute to their work, check out the link in the show notes. Reading his book, uh, there were a few things that I think were just just glaringly true about him that would, I mean, if we valued his voice in history, um, mm. we would have been farther along in terms of this particular cultural moment mm. where, you know, everything is heightened in terms of social unrest and racial unrest. And, and I read his book and considered the things that he said in the terms of, in terms of the black community both within and without the church. And yeah. he said things to us that if he wasn't silenced, um, we would have been, I guess, less shocked and potentially um, there would have been less damage done during this particular cultural moment, um, especially for, for people of color within the faith. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things he detailed, and if you haven't read the book, um, it is fantastic overall, but one of the things he talks about in the book is his own deconstruction of faith, right? Hmm. He was a member yeah. of the Nation of Islam, and he learned about the, the, the things that were wrong in the Nation of Islam, particularly um, the Prophet Elijah Muhammad, who was their revered leader. Um, hmm. He had fathered some illegitimate children with some young unmarried women um, hmm. in, the, in the nation. Hmm. And um, uh, Malcolm X being the extremely moral man that he was, extremely moral, he couldn't stand for that. Hmm. And so it led him to leave the nation of Islam and ultimately to, tr to go on the, the Mecca pilgrimage. Yeah. And it was over there that he had this awakening hmm. that the, the roots of Islam were, were um, they were deeper. Um, they ran longer in history um, than he had ever understood. Uh, he understood his, the, the Islam to be um, by nature white hating but he went over there and he talks about experiencing the love of, of men whose skin was whiter than white and eyes bluer than blue, <laughs> right? And so he came back with a different perspective um, on faith, but even more so, he came back with a healthier perspective on humanity, right? On diversity, <laughs> on loving your fellow man. Um, he, he came back, his deconstruction led him to be better overall. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's helpful for, for particularly black Christians who ourselves are having this deconstruction based on the racial issues in our, in our churches and in our world right now. It'll be mm -hmm. helpful for us to, to, to see an example of someone who had a deconstruction 
based around similar situations, but came out actually with more love, mm. came out with more grace. Yeah. And because what I'm seeing happen with a lot of um, a lot of people of color who are experiencing this deconstruction in the church that they're 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 they're, they're more angry. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they're lashing out more. And, and I just think that if we, we um, acknowledge these historical examples of it now, I know it gets pretty problematic because he was a Muslim and not a Christian. I get it. You know, you said that before. But um, mm -hmm. at the very least, uh, we could learn um, we could learn greater humanity. Yeah. Um, from him as we as we go through this uh, deconstruction, which I think is largely healthy for a lot of people or, yeah. or it should be. But for a lot, yeah. I think it hasn't been. Another thing I, I saw um, when reading his book um, is this embrace of Afrocentrism uh, when it wasn't when it wasn't necessarily popular. Uh, <laughs> one of the things he talks about in the book, and it seems um, it seems very, uh, I guess, surfacey, but he talks about uh, the conch. Have you heard about that? Uh -uh. So uh, back then it was really cool for, you know, the, the, the hip swinging cats to, to put a perm in their hair to make it slick and smooth and kind of, okay. you know, yeah. under the nice top hats with the zoot suits and stuff. Uh -huh. And they called it a conch. Okay. It's a, talk, it's a hairstyle. Okay, yeah, it's a right. hairstyle. Yeah, yeah. And he calls, he talks about the conch being a kind of internalized hatred, internalized racism, where um, one of the things about history in, in the, in, in, um, well, black history is that lighter skin was seen as a more valuable trait just because, um, you know, in, in um, days of slavery, lighter skin, you know, they were favored by their white masters, right? Their white slave owners. And so that continued, that perpetuated throughout, you know, Dr. I mean, uh, Malcolm X's life. Yeah. And so he talked about being favored because his skin was lighter and mm. his hair was red. Mm -hmm. And then he talked about further, you know, putting the conch in, which made him even more favored because it was more straight and more like, you know, white hair, if you will. And yeah. so when he, you know, had his awakening and went through his deconstruction, um, he was able to assess that, oh, you know what? I was experiencing some internalized hatred. You know, I was, you know, not being able to, to, to love the color of darker skin or to, to mm -hmm. love the texture of just natural black hair. Um, mm -hmm. This is internalized hatred. And so he would charge people who would say, hey, embrace your hair, embrace mm -hmm. your skin color, right? Um, mm -hmm. He was definitely a part of the, the Black is Beautiful movement. That's not a, toying, a term mm -hmm. he coined. That's more for like Fred Hampton and stuff. Yeah. But he, you know, he said, Black is Beautiful. And, and of course, I don't know if, you, if you've seen where Dr. King, right before he died, he started to chant Black is Beautiful. Oh, really? Um, yeah. But um, all that to say that what's happening now, I'm finding a lot of, um, a lot of Black uh, circles within within the christian faith is that the embrace of afrocentrism kind of kind of goes hand in hand for them with a rejection of the christian faith somehow hmm. and to, to to see that um we can we can we can love the Lord Jesus Christ and embrace our afrocentrism all all that it is because the kingdom is not um mm -hmm. is not limited to whiteness or, or you know, or, or yeah. any, any of the constructs yeah. that we found offensive yeah. within the Christian church. Yeah. And so, again, if his voice wasn't muted, um, we could have been ahead of the curve in terms of just embracing fully who we are, despite what, you know, um, you know, if yeah. any people of color listening, we all understand the, the problems with code switching, 
right? Mm -hmm. Having to speak a certain way when I'm in my white circles versus when I'm, you know, or being concerned about what my hair looks like, what my dress looks like. Yeah. What if, you know, we'd, we'd listen to 70 plus years ago, a man just say, hey, embrace who you are. It's fine, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was great. And lastly, um, and you, we know this uh, very well about uh, Malcolm X, is that he uh, spoke adamantly against latent advocacy, right? Advocacy without teeth, hmm. you know? Um, yeah. he, I mean, what's the number one thing that we... We quote from Malcolm X's by any means necessary, right? People say okay. that, you know, we yeah. say that um, it's used against him a lot. Right. And while I, I think, Ben, for sure, you know, he was, he was advocating for the use of force, mm -hmm. for justice. I don't think that's all he was advocating for. I think right. at the heart of what he was saying was, let's look for means that are truly effective, Right. And bring about justice. Yeah. And so right now, one of the things we struggle with is the fact that, oh, why did the church just stand by while these right. atrocities happened, right? Right now, we, we talk about those churches that still say things like, oh, they just preach the gospel, right? right? Just, right. you know, and, and, and we talk about the need for action, mm -hmm. you know, the need for using the means of, of government and, and, and whatever we need. And so... Again, what if we didn't just just villainize this man and his use of any means by any means necessary and at his heart understand his heart? He just means right. advocacy that is effective. Yes. You know. Yeah. So yeah. these are the things I read in the book and and uh and and um and these are the things that I think that that Malcolm X just embodied, you know, mm -hmm. and, and 70 plus years later we're still catching up and I think largely because his voice and voices like his we're we're, stif we're we're stymied in the church, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, predominantly so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hearing in in what you're saying a lot of um, a lot of what I've learned recently from people like Willie Jennings. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read his uh, his mm -hmm. book Christian Imagination, yeah. where just there was there was so much. I think this is this is part of the gift of Malcolm X uh, and other voices like this actually being outside of the church, because. What, I, what I'm learning from Willie Jennings, for example, is that so much of what I thought of as sort of pure, I'm putting that in scare quotes, pure <laughs> Christian theology, right? right? It's like, oh, this is just the gospel. This is just, I'm reading the Bible and this is, this is where I'm you know, getting this stuff. It was actually like so intertwined with uh, the doctrines of white supremacy and, and a lot of this stuff that, that started you know, way back in the 1500s. But like a lot of this stuff grew up together. And so... A, you know, a lot of the white church during the civil rights movement, for example, like they, they were just sort of thinking, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't the gospel or that, that kind of thing, but not realizing how much of their version of the gospel, how much of their um, version of what they thought of as just sort of, quote unquote, normal Christian faith was so intertwined with whiteness and, and the doctrines of white supremacy that have um, hurt, harmed people of color, marginalized communities for a long time. And so I think that's the gift of, of having somebody outside of our own tradition mm -hmm. who can actually sometimes see some of the flaws in our tradition a little bit more right. clearly if we'll have the courage to listen to them, um, mm -hmm. even if they're not a Christian or even if we don't advocate all of what they, um, you know, advocated for. So Extremely that's really well said. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really helpful. Yeah, anything uh, Anything else? I mean, how, how can people, if people are encouraged by this, you know, or intrigued, uh, by this, how how can they? What what was the book that you read, and maybe how can they um, do their do some of their 
do some research, you know, and, and look into Malcolm X a little bit more. Well, I mean, the autobiography of Malcolm X, that's fantastic. That, that's, that's a great that's place a to begin. Um, he, the book wasn't actually written by Malcolm X. It was actually a compilation of several in-depth interviews Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. that he underwent uh, right before he died. So it, it, he's, I think he, his last interview was in 1965 and he was murdered in 1965. Okay. Um, so that, that's good. Uh, you can look up his, his interviews online on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, I think those are great places to start. I think there are other histories written about him. Yeah. But I, I think I valued what he said himself, what he had to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind yeah. of in his own words, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been great, Mac. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. 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 Really good to hang out with you. Um, thanks for sharing. Thanks for taking some time to share with us uh, what we can learn from Malcolm X. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.